Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Cow Corner. We're here to talk about the England-South Africa T20 series, give a quick review of that. I'm joined with me this week by Glenn over in Wyoming. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Better than the uh, the West Indies batsmen, that is for sure, who have collapsed right now. It never stops. And, you know, as we're here live on a, on a Friday evening in the UK, the West Indies have just lost five really quick wickets on the grassiest surface ever. And that brings me nicely onto the, the housekeeping for this episode. We forgot to mention the New Zealand West Indies series actually in the last pod. New Zealand won the T20 series 2 0, a uh, three match series with, with the third match rained off. They posted 238 for three in the second T20. Um, they look great coming up for that World Cup, and we'll, we'll talk some T20 cricket shortly. And Kane Williamson's back, Glenn, you know, it's been a weird year, but watching Williamson back was therapeutic and made me feel normal again. 251 he made on that aforementioned grassy wicket. Did you see that wicket? It looked like a meadow. It was extraordinary. It looked like, um, you know, the British countryside. Um, it looks like a village. You know, what's besides a village pitch? Like the stuff you stare at when you're at long leg, <laughs> desperate for lunch. <laughs> it was amazing. And yeah, it became it became a bit of a meme, didn't it, on Twitter? I mean, you just couldn't find the wicket. You could have been playing in the outfield for all we knew. <laughs> How do you know if you landed it on the cut strip or not? Nobody could see it. There were a lot of jokes saying... You battle bowl on this deck first and obviously bowl. And then New Zealand made 517 for nine declared, as Stuart Broad mentioned, um, quote in that tweet. Yeah, it's taking the world by storm. And, and so is Kane Williamson, uh, a fantastic knock. And as I speak right now, West Indies 90 for five, 429 runs behind. Doesn't look too bright for them. Um, but plenty of cricket, as, as we said, to be talking about. Let's move on. That, that's, there's not much housekeeping. That'll do for us for now. Let's get on to the, the real talking point. Um, England versus South Africa, the T20 series. Actually, before we do get into that, breaking news today, Friday the 4th, is um, the England-South Africa first ODI has been postponed. Going to move to Sunday, so two days from now, with the second game on Monday and the third on Wednesday. There is a lot of rumour talking that that series might not happen at all now. Um, they've kept pretty quiet about it. Ashley Giles and Graham Smith, the heads of the respective cricketing boards, declined the media opportunities this evening. So we'll see what happens there. That's a moving story. Hopefully we get some cricket, but obviously the safety of the players is key. We'll see what happens. For my money, I think it might get cancelled. A few more positive tests and that could be the end of that. And the England boys had to cancel their game of golf, Glenn. Um, they were used <laughs> to play on Saturday. Poor guys. Probably out of the I, I just had this image... Uh... Dan of like Ashley Giles being stood outside, you know, the Four Seasons landscaping with Giuliani just <laughs> screaming about these uh, these these fake COVID cases and demanding to play the ODIs. It's, it's just this it's a strange old situation. And something I mentioned uh, to you and Zach in the chat earlier is like not to get all Gavin Williamson about it. British, British, <laughs> British best. But. <laughs> But what is what is interesting is that we've seen, you know, we've seen breaches of the biosecure bubbles um, in, in a lot of different countries that are playing ancestral cricket right now. And I think it just goes to show, like, how, I guess, strict, apart from Archer's little trip back to our, our old hunting ground of Hove, um, I think it worked really well in England. And obviously, fair play to the away teams for being just as strict. But, yeah, there's been breaches, especially the one that we're talking about now. And there's been issues with the um, Pakistan players um, heading over to New Zealand. I think we've all been reading about that recently. So, yeah, I mean, it just shows that our summer could have gone a very different way, could have been breached early. We couldn't. We, our podcast may not have started. So very interesting thought that. And that would have been the biggest crime of all if we weren't sat here <laughs> talking now. And I think that's a great point you make. We, you know, we had four countries over. And I think because it was the first sort of big bubble sporting event for cricket um, and I guess in the world at the time as sports tried to adjust, the fact there were no cases never saw, never seemed that extreme. 
And I think, you know, with the way COVID's got a bit worse in places, the fact it, I think we can reflect on that and go how great it was, as you said. So we'll see what happens over there. And I wonder what the South African equivalent of the, the Four Seasons landscaping is. Anyone <laughs> in South Africa listening, please do let us know. Right, let's, let's move on to the T20 series, Glenn, before we digress too much. Um, a fantastic series, England sweeping it 3-0, looking really good. There's still a few bits that we're going to chat about that, that might not be so solid, but I think we have to start with David Milan, uh, his 99 not out of 47 balls in, in that third T20. I think summed it sums him up as a player. I think this series really summed him up as a player because there were three different knocks there. Um, let's start with the 99 there because it was amazing. And, you know, did he get his maths wrong, Glenn? Did he He turned back for the second, by the way, and Joss Butler wasn't looking. Did he get his maths wrong or did he want to, you know, please Owen Morgan um, like he didn't do in New Zealand? It's a real tough one, isn't it? I, I mean, either way, it's unfortunate for him because, you know, to be stuck on, on, on 99 in any form of the game, let alone T20, when hundreds are pretty rare. I mean, obviously, it is an achievement that some batsmen manage, but... I mean, getting 100 runs in, in, in 20 overs, obviously batting less than them, is is ridiculously good. And the fact that he came out of the block, you know, went 4-6-4, four, four, something along those lines, and just carried on that momentum, um, I think he deserved it. And it is a real shame, I think, for him um, that he didn't get over the line. But at the same time, at the end of the day, he still he still did it. He still got 99 runs at two runs two runs a ball and an extraordinary strike rate. And it was just unbelievable. I just was really, really um, excited to see him and Butler put on the partnership together, obviously a world record uh, breaking partnership. And it just made me excited for the future of England cricket. So, you know, regardless of that hundred or not, what we had was a batting masterclass from two players. And how often have we seen Butler overtaken uh, by another player, by his partner? It's usually the other way around. So hundred or not Milan, as he will be, should be extraordinarily proud of the series. I think you made a really good point there, Dan. It wasn't one innings. He, he, he batted well throughout the series. And I want to come on to those knocks throughout the series because they were so different. Let's look at his. Let's look at the second T20 in which he was sort of the anchor of this innings. A word that gets used around him quite a lot, actually, anchor, solid, etc. Forgetting he can strike at 200. Uh, but 55 or 40 balls, strike over 130. He had to do a lot of catching up in that. It was a slow surface over in Paul, and he said, you know, in his post-match, he was really struggling to time the ball. He was clothing it a little bit. But knocks like this are so important, and I think it's probably hard for him, knowing that people might get on his back for a slightly slower start to an innings. He's got the ability to catch that up because he is such a good ball striker. If we then look at his first um, innings in, in the first T20, he made 19 off 20 balls, and this was where this was the first T20. So there's a bit of chat going around about, and there always is around Milan about his strike rate, and he, I don't have a problem with this because he can catch it up, and he's such a good ball striker that he can. And I was listening um, to another podcast, I'm afraid, today um, <laughs> that, that discussed cricket. There, there are a few. Um, <laughs> and they're hoping he gets an IPL contract simply because hopefully he can get a few games in India to you know, a high quality bowling attack and, and show himself on those pitches. I mean, what do you reckon to that? Because I think he's shown us so much in this, in this series, if we need it anymore, because he is the world's best T20 batsman. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine there'll be something of a bidding war, you'd hope, if he can mm. keep this up um, from IPL teams. Talking of his strike rate, Dan, his his strike rate over the series was 161, which mm. is remarkably good. He hit 173 runs, an average of 86. Um <laughs> It really was just he was almost on another level. And if if this guy is standing out among your Stokes, your Bairstows, uh, Roy, were he in form, we'll get onto that in a moment, your Butlers, um, it really speaks to the quality and the form he's in. And we all kind of chuckled, you know, when he became the number one T20 batsman and wasn't assured of his place in the team. The system's broken. Actually, he was the most important batsman for England over this series. And yeah, he does look like the best player in the world right now, just purely for form. Like when he came in, I managed to catch most of the third the third game live, which was wonderful. And the second he came in and he was just he was seeing it like a football and yep. he just continued it through the entire the entire innings. Um, and it wasn't, you know, that we knocked off some some decent scores over the over the series. You know, I thought South Africa were in the ascendancy for quite a large part of that third game and certainly for the, for, for, for um, a lot of the other matches as well. But he just showed that perfect balance between 
you know, getting his head down, batting on a slow pitch for that second game, and then just, you know what, taking ball bowlers to the cleaners in the third. He seems pretty complete at the minute, is, is something I'd say, and I am just blown away, and it's just great to see him do so well for us. Uh, Nas Hussain asked Joss Butler a great question in his post-match interview of the third test, is that were people within the England dressing room surprised by David Milan? A, his entrance into the side, and B, the way he's kind of taken it over a little bit, especially a lot of the narrative around it. Uh, Joss said no, obviously, it'd be weird if he said yes. Um, and he just said, you know, he's a great ball striker, he's got it all, etc., etc. I am surprised, though, by David Milan. If you told me, I don't know, two years ago that... David Milan, that sort of number five test batsman who was good in Australia and not so good in England, is now our best T20 batsman. I'd have been really surprised. I don't know what you think about that, Glenn. No, so would I. And it, it, it's such a competitive field. You know, as we as we just mentioned, there are many of the world's best T20 batsmen in this England side. You know, Stokes can destroy a team. Morgan, I don't think I ever mentioned him a moment ago mm. because there's so much quality. Um, Bairstow, we'll get on to him in a moment. What a knock um, in that in that first game. Amazing. And for him to stand almost head and shoulders um, above the others in this series, yeah, no, who would have predicted that a year ago? I don't. I don't think anybody. Definitely. Um, there was a great tweet by Daniel Norcross, a, a good cricket journalist. Um, during the first T20I, this is important to mention for context. He said Darren Milan is a weird batsman. For the first 10 to 15 balls of his innings, he looks like a blindfolded hostage. Thereafter, he becomes Kumar Sangakara. I, I love that because this is where some of his criticism comes from. Is he can look a little bit awkward and a little bit pokey for the first few balls of his innings. And I think he proved, and I'm happy to say now, that's fine. David, you have my, you know, my license because he proves he can catch it up. And I think that's the most important thing that you can catch up that strike rate. I'm sure he's aware of it, but I, I think that comparison is fair on David Milan, but, but a great series from him. We must move on. This isn't the Darren <laughs> Milan podcast. This is the Chris Wokes podcast, who sadly wasn't in this squad. Um, let's talk more about the batting because I think this is the bit we like to obsess the most as England fans, especially in T20s. That first team announcement, I was surprised to see Bairstow at four. Um, I don't know why I was. I, I just think I, I saw either Bairstow or Roy, not both in that team. Um, and he proved me wrong. I think it added so much to our batting lineup. That depth down to current at seven is outrageous. And when Roy fell for a two a two ball duck, um, Bairstow in at four or after Milan got out, looked fantastic. And his 86 off 48 was great to see. Had a decent IPL. He's not performing in an England shirt for a while. So so this was good. Do you see him as a as a long term number four, Glenn, or do you think? And we can just chat about Jason Roy concurrently here. Do you think Bairstow is going to eventually take that place when the England selectors kind of run out of time with Jason Roy? I mean, it's a great question. I think he's proven he can do it, right? Uh, batting, batting in that position, you know, 86 not out. Um, his highest ever uh, T20 international score, which is worth noting, because obviously he's had some big knocks um, opening up for us. And I think, yeah, I think you and I, Dan, especially, just still in my mind, at least, it just it just feels like, you know, Bairstow and Roy, probably based off the, the World Cup we obviously won last year, that was such an iconic duo, just opening yeah. up and you know, really just terrorizing a load of opening bowlers and just getting, we expected 50 for none, 60 for none every time they stepped out. And what's interesting is that Roy has frozen, if not gone backwards um, with his form, he averaged 10. He got 30 in the three games um, this series. Um, just looked, again, way out of Nick, the same way he has last summer. Um, Bairstow, I saw a good piece um, uh, today that, Talking about how Besto deserves more respect, that he has been treated pretty badly by England, especially in the test team. And I would agree. I think he's given critics room to, uh, to, to, to criticize him. That's, that's what journos are going to do in the test team. But as a one day player, he's really, really talented and pretty consistent. And I think, yeah, I think he does need to get some more respect from fans, especially because... He's done a lot for England, and I don't think we would have been. I don't think we'd be top of the rankings in T20 and ODI if it wasn't for him. So really important. And to answer your question, yeah, he did the job at four one time this series. I want to see if he can do it over and over again. That's that's something I'd like to see more of. 
Yeah, definitely. I hope he gets more chances there. And I love that point about a bit more respect for him, especially in the white ball team, because he has done a lot for us, hasn't he? And he has, well, I don't think he's been announced yet, but it's as good as announced that he's getting a call uh, back into the test squad. He's he's withdrawn from the BBL and should travel to Sri Lanka with England. That'll be great to see him in whites again. And and I let's come on to Roy, because Bester would open if, if Roy were to be dropped. Watching this series, looking at this batting lineup. This Roy down to Curran at seven. So Roy, Butler, Milan, Bairstow, Stokes, Morgan, Curran. Looks fantastic. I want Roy to be in form. I, I feel like I, I talk bad about him too much. I want him to be in form simply so we can have that, those seven come out uh, uh, for, the, for the World Cup. But he just when he's out of Nick, he just looks so bad and so confused and his hands go so hard at the ball that it doesn't warrant a place in this England side at the minute. Now, I hope this ODI series goes ahead because I think we can rekindle that Roy Bairstow partnership at the top of the order and hopefully he can find some form because I think that's all it needs is a couple shots out in the middle, a bit of a conf- uh, confidence-boosting knock and he'll be back. But this series, he looked terrible. Uh, a two-ball duck in that first innings where he sort of bottom-edged it off Linda, who was bowling his, his first over in a T20i. I think was a bit unlucky and kind of sums up where he's at at the minute. When, when you're that out of form, those kind of things do go against you. But as you said, Glenn, what, 30 runs over the whole um, series, you know, pretty much out within the first three or four overs. And then Milan came in and, and kind of showed off a little bit. It's not good enough for me at the minute. I think, I hope he finds some form. And I want to make sure that caveat's there that I don't, I don't not want him in the team because I love that top seven. But I see a top seven without him in there pretty soon. Yeah, he's got to pick it up. Um, real quick, and uh, yeah, the uh, the writer for Wisdom who did the, the player ratings, which are always really helpful um, for this series, mentioned that he's going to be desperate to a return for form, as you said, Dan. Also, not only did he have a really bad average, but his strike rate was 85 over those mm. three innings, under a runner ball, and substantially worse than any other England batsman in the series. So, not only was he, you know, not hitting it, um, not timing it, not hitting it right. He was, you know, he was still occupying the crease as well, which is the worst of both worlds. And I think you made a good point because he isn't the most eloquent or of batsmen. You know, he doesn't play the most beautiful cover drives ever. He is one of those batsmen that comes and just tries to smack it out of the park. And same as you, I would love to see him in form. We're not trying to criticize him. I think he's a really good player. But when a player who kind of who kind of bats that aggressively loses their nick, it can be really tough to watch, can't it? I think that's something we've all noticed in the test team that really um, catalyzed this feeling of like, okay, he's not a test player, <laughs> watching him struggle. And it's that that is really kind of, I guess, drifting over to his, his one-day game right now is that he just looks uncomfortable at the crease. And we hate to see it. And what's also important to note is that there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of good players. You took, you know, Phil Salt, for example, another player who's really explosive at the opening innings. He's not getting a look in because Roy is quite rightly part of this team. Honestly, I think he's got. There's going to be one more series. It may well be this ODI before he is um, dropped to the reserves because he's it's consistently poor at the minute, which is a massive shame. Yeah, I don't think he'll lose his place in the squad in the long term, in the short or the long term. Um, I do think he could lose his place pretty quickly. <sighs> yeah, it's, I think there's players that look good when they're out of form, if you know what I mean, that look elegant, that you can't tell they're battling their own technique. I think Joe Root's a good example that he never looks ugly when he's getting out. Um, he'll often get a good delivery or, or nick off fairly conventionally. Roy will play down the wrong line and we get bowled at on leg stump or something and or he'll just plink it and he just doesn't look too great. But this top seven I've got it in front of me here, I think even if we were to drop Roy, I wouldn't maybe I wouldn't promote Bearstone. Maybe I'd bring in a Salt or a Banton to open the innings because I just love the depth of that middle order and all the kinds of innings they can play. Let let's say Roy finds a bit of form or we find a replacement, either or Let's finish on the batting here, Glenn. Does that top seven start the first World Cup match for you, for England? Because for me, it just looks fantastic. Right now, I mean, why wouldn't it? it, it it's extraordinarily good. Uh, I I was kind of 
speechless because the the thing is we're so strong that not every batsman even got on innings in every game of this tournament, yeah. especially when you're talking about that unbelievable partnership between um, Doeb Milan and and Butler in the third. You've got players like Ben Stokes and Owen Morgan waiting to bat, two of the most explosive players of this format. <laughs> They're not getting a look in and they're in the starting 11. So why would we change anything? And you made a good point, um, I think, earlier in the pod um, or just before when we were chatting that Sam Curran, you know, the Currans can both bat as well. It's not as if our middle order is bad. And Jofra Archer was brilliant in, in the IPL. And we kind of forgot that wasn't, of course, a talking point because he didn't get near in innings in this series. So he can come out and smash, you know, 10 off three easy. So we've got batting right down uh, into the into the death bowlers. So. Yeah, to answer your question, absolutely. I think this is a brilliant team, and it makes me so excited for that for that um, tournament next year. Another interesting point from this series is that England chased in each in each game. I'd love mm-hmm. to see us set a score. However, yes. on the flip side, I think this is giving me great confidence that we've chased down we England again. Sorry, England chased down 179. 146 on a slower pitch, and then 191 with you know hours and days and weeks to spare. So as a chasing team, that gives me great confidence. I think even if Morgan won the toss when it comes to some more serious games in a World Cup, I think he likes to chase. I think he yep. thinks our bowling is our strongest asset. Oh, maybe it's not our strongest asset, but it's an asset that can be utilised well to let the batsmen go and do their thing. So that was another really interesting little little tidbit from from this series that England do chase well. Come on, let's move on to the bowlers. Let's, let's leave the batsmen alone yep. for a little while. Um, I... A lot going on. It seemed like business as usual. I, I think, again, I always reference the World Cup, but the bowling is where we're going to win this tournament if we can go and win that World Cup. And I think there's still a few questions that need to be answered. Um, yeah. Let me start with Sam Curran with the new ball. This is a fairly new thing we've seen for England in T20Is. We, we did see him take the new ball uh, with CSK over in the IPL. And he's there, and I think opening is a left armer who wants to try and swing the ball. Now, that is, that's us looking from an outside perspective. He never tries to swing the ball, is my issue. He's never pitching up, looking for it to swing. He's bowling cross-seamers. He's bowling his useful bouncers. I still like him as an opening bowler because he's canny. He's cunning. I think he's a very clever bowler. I just don't know if that's a long-term spell, um, a long-term position, rather, with Wood waiting in the wings. And the white ball, the kookaburra especially, very rarely swings anymore at the top of a white ball inning. So... I like Sam Curran in this team, but is he much of a use as our opening bowler alongside Archer? Oh, it's a really good question. I think it's only going to be answered with a bit more cricket. Um, mm. I, yeah, I totally agree. I think you made a great observation um, that he didn't look to swing it and is looking to take pace off the ball. Mm-hmm. Cutters, slower balls. Um, he can throw in a really tight bouncer. Um, he unnerves the batsman. I mean, if I was opening up, I wouldn't necessarily want to face him first because he's got a box of tricks. Um, and I think he's a very, very intelligent bowler. Does that mean he should be opening when you could have Archer and Wood who are going to be, you know, coming in at, at 90 and really, really, um, you know, putting pace on the ball? I I don't know. I mean, I, I love him in this team, Sam Curran. I think he's proved his worth time and time again across the IPL as well. Um, that's a great point you made there. Openers, I'm not sure. Whereas, if you take Roy out of the occasion, uh, out of the um, equation, I think our batting is pretty much, you know, on point in terms of who we think is going to bat. The bowling is still a little bit up in the air for me. Um, second spinner, we'll get onto that in a moment. Who knows? The pace attack. You know, I've always backed Tom Curran in, in, in recent months, and he had a really rough, um, rough series. He, he he didn't look particularly good. He a lot of full tosses at the death. He lost his length um, a couple of times. He only got two wickets. Again, wickets isn't a huge thing, but um, his economy rate was was over 11, 11.6. That's way too much mm. for a death bowler or for any bowler in this format. It's just a lot of runs. So, yeah, I don't necessarily have a clear-cut answer to that because I think we just need to try more things. I think you've made a, really, a, a good point with Wood in the wings. Um, yeah, Sam Curran, excellent. Tom Curran, still a, a big big disappointment for me. Interestingly, in the T20, which is the first T20 in which Sam Curran got his best ever bowling figures in a T20 match, his brother Tom got his worst ever figures. So Sam mm-hmm. with three for 28, Tom with one for 55 off his four. 
Sam Curran only bowled his allotted four in one of those games, which was that that first T20. He bowled two and three in the others. So he used early at the top and then not used at the death. I think we're all in agreement he's not much of a death bowler. So yeah, the current on on both currents, uh, the situation. There's a few questions there still. If we look at Jofra Archer, actually, let me come back to Tom Curran quickly because I, I think he suffers at the hands of Jofra Archer in that Jofra Archer was so good opening the bowling and he gives no freebies to the batsman. He goes for you know a couple, two or three. He, I think twice he went for less than two off his opening over. That when Tom Curran comes on as the first change, the batsmen need and target him because they need to kind of up that run rate a little bit. So he kind of fall foul, falls foul to that. But I, I do agree with you, Glenn, that I think he missed his mark on too many occasions uh, in this in this series. And England's bowling in general in that third T20I seemed pretty clueless. That's a strong word. I'm, I've got no idea what I'm talking about. Not clueless, but but planless. It, it, they were they were missing their Yorkers and bowling it in, you know, the slots as they call it now, and they were all missing them into a full toss. It just seemed a little bit frantic. That's the worst I've seen England bowl for a while. And I think Curran and, and Jordan, who was good in this series, kind of fell foul to that. Let's come to the more positive side with the bowling because Jofra Archer was as good as ever. He went for less than eight runs and over across the whole series. Um, a few. Good wickets. He did have his worst ever T20 bowling figures, though, in that third T20. I mean, there's not much you can say about Archer. He is still class, isn't he? And he, he strikes fear into into a batting lineup, I think. Yeah, um, I totally agree. I mean, yeah, he only got a couple of wickets, but yeah, he's going under eight. That's pretty good for a for a um, opening bowler. We we just we discussed um, earlier um, that. It's interesting that um, Owen Morgan can, you know, call on him halfway through an innings. We we both like that. That shows our depth in bowling. Um, but yeah, pretty pretty standard for Archer. Nothing to write home about. I mean, Chris Jordan, uh, big shout out to him becoming the the, the leading wicket taker in uh, men's T20 internationals for England. Extraordinary achievement. Congratulations for him. And he got Quinton uh, de Kock out in every game. Always nice. You, you know, you got these little battles going on. Um, between de Kock and Archer as well, Archer's actually said that he finds um, Quinton de Kock one of the hardest batsmen to to play against, which is very interesting. And then Rashid, um, you know, he's coming. This is a leg spinner, one of the hardest, um, you know, disciplines in the game. He's coming in at under six and over across the series. That's ridiculously good. And we say it every every um, episode on this pod that does involve England, but we're lucky to have him. To have a consistent leg spinner in this game is is extraordinary. And how often does he bowl badly? Rarely, if ever. You don't get loose overs from him. He's just putting it on the money, spins it both ways. So Rashid, yeah, you know, a brilliant asset to have in this game. And yeah, a lot of quality in that pace attack. So yeah, not really, an, you know, nothing I was like blown away by, by our bowling. Um, the batting uh, was obviously stole the headlines for us. But subtly, we're pretty, pretty consistent. Although you're quite right to point out that frantic's the right word, um, erratic as well in that final game. We just we just lost our heads a bit when Rusty van der Dussen took a liking to pretty much everyone, <laughs> especially yeah. Archer. And, and that was it on a pitch that I think people and the players themselves and the pundits and, and all, the, all the journos there thought was going to be a lot slower and then all of a sudden became really playable. I think they thought England were bowling badly, which they were. It then turns out the pitch was a lot better than people thought. Adil Rashid, yeah, he's bowling better than ever, I think. He's just got so much confidence. I think he really feels his place in the England side, sort of how important he is, but how how good he knows he is maybe I don't know but there's so much swagger and confidence coming from him he's bowling it what I look what looks like slower than ever really flighting it asking questions of the batsman and to go for less than a run a ball across a series like this is unbelievable let's look at that third t20i <laughs> the economy rates you know obviously England you know went for 191 off their 20 Curran 11 and over Archer 11 and over Jordan 10 and over Tom Curran 12 and over Stokes eight and a half Rashid five and over. He went for twenty off his four, which it was before Van der Dussen had got his eye on, as you said. But still, he is consistently England's best bowler in a T20 international, and yeah, he's bowling as as, as well as ever. I don't think he'll he'll get a place in the, in the Test side to go to Sri Lanka. I think that that ship has sailed once again, and I think with his injury history and you know his time with the white ball side, that's absolutely fine. But yeah, he he's just such a great asset. But who's going to accompany him, Glenn? There has to be a second spinner of this team. I think most people are in agreement with that. 
I mean, Zach made some claims in the last pod, the Big Bash pod, if you want to listen to that, before we got into the Big Bash. Samit Patel playing well in the LPL. Could we bring him in? Uh, Matt Doherty, who is Irish and a footballer, could we bring him in? He was testing <laughs> the edges of the Tottenham, uh, the Tottenham batsman last week. There just feels like there's very few options here. And before we come on to where in a team a second spinner might fit, and I think there's a few options, who is there? Moeen's frustrating a lot of people. I think there's a lot of call for Matt Parkinson to get a, another game. He already has a T20i cap. To have two leg spinners would be great for England. But we've had this conversation a couple of times, Glenn. It's kind of soul-destroying. But who is that? And who is making a claim to be Adil Rashid's partner? Well, just to make the conversation even sadder, um, Dan, imagine a scenario in which Rashid gets injured before Ooh. or during the, the World Cup. I think we're stuck. And you've listed off the names that I was, you know, gonna gonna quote with with no conviction whatsoever. <laughs> the selection we have. Um, I'm immensely disappointed. And yeah, I think it speaks to we've talked about this on another pod, um, the way that English conditions suit pace, the way that, um, you know, pace is still seen as slightly superior. I feel like sometimes in England we don't have this recent legacy since graham swan um and i think his absence um is is still going to be felt you know in terms of off spinner who can do it in every format because you rightly said that rashid isn't our test spinner and a test spinner itself is still not set at all you know jack leach has had injury problems don best has unimpressed me unfortunately and both of them aren't really options for the t20 game so we actually have a total shortage of spinners across all three formats in my opinion yeah, it, it, it's India. You're you're right. We need a second one and a third were there to be any injuries. So there's a lot of weight on Rashid's shoulders right now. Too much, too much, I think. And we're a little bit stuck in that department. Um, it's it's a it's a quandary we've we've tried to deconstruct on this pod multiple times, and we still do not have. We're not anywhere closer to an answer. Yeah, we keep getting stuck, don't we? It's a, it's a cul-de-sac of English spinners at the minute, it is. isn't it? And I think you make a great point that perhaps that weight on Rashid's shoulders is why he keeps getting that stress fracture in his shoulder. This is too much <laughs> spinning weight on his shoulder literally. right now. And what frustrates you slightly about this bowling attack in the T20 format is that Stokes is our fifth spinner. Uh, Seema, excuse me. If he if Stokes give is our fifth spinner. Give him a go. Spinner, let's oh give God. him a go. Can he tweak it? Let's find out. Um, Stokes is our fifth seamer, and he's he's much better than a fifth seamer. He's a good fourth seamer, which allows that space to drop one of the other seamers out to bring a spinner in. I don't think I want to lose any of that batting that we spoke about at the top of the pod. Um, you made a good point about Graham Swan um, in how useful he was across all three formats. Uh, Rashid overtook him. I think overtook or tied him as our all-time um, T20 wicket-taker for third place, excuse me, because Chris Jordan took that in the men's game. He took his 50th and his 51st wicket during this series, and he took that in about, I think it was 50 games. I think it was a wicket a game on average. Swan did that in something like 30-odd. I think 33, he was taking 50 wickets. So, yeah, Graham Swan was really, you know, an all-round great spinner and someone we do miss. And I think we all kind of knew that as he came to the end of his career, that we were like, hold on, we've not re- we've not prepared a replacement for Graham Swan. And as good as Rashid has been, I think you make a great point about his potential injury and let's 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 touch wood repeatedly because we can't have any of that so th- that pretty much sums up the bowling tack thing that i think and again good with a few more questions to be answered than uh the batting lineup i think we've come to agree on there shall we move on to south africa a, a disappointing series for them really losing three nil at home the first time that's happened for a long time not just for them but for any team in, in t20 cricket it, it's very rare in these uh, small T20Is that we have, these small series. Let's start on the positive side, though. They found an absolute gem in uh, Linda, uh, the left-arm off-spinner, who can bat a bit. We love a bit of batting a bit. Opening the bowling on, on I think, in all three. Um, definitely in the first. And he looked he looked unbelievable. Really got the ball to to turn on a pitch that hadn't, you know, she got it to turn a bit, but I thought Linda looked great. And to, to partner Shamsi, I think South Africa have got what we, England, haven't. It is two spinners that can work well together. And we'll come to Shamsi later. But how good is that fine for South Africa? Brilliant. And imagine um, being given the uh, the ball um, on your first ever yeah. cap for the T20 international side. And you're, you're told to open. Butler there as well with Josh <laughs> Well, He got Jason. I wouldn't be so scared of Jason Roy at the minute. But with Josh Butler, you know, at the non-striking end. 
I mean, yeah, in a different world, Roy gets a quick single and, you know, he's out of the park. So yeah. that was, I liked the captaincy. There can be criticism we can come to in a moment about captaincy, but I liked the empowerment of um, George Lindy. I, I liked him being given the ball, being given that responsibility. And absolutely, how did he, um, how well did he um, step up to the plate there? Yeah, he, he only got two wickets, but um, he is, his economy rate was six, which is mm. fantastic for a, for a, for a new Someone new to the to the T20 international scene to, to go at six as a spinner is brilliant. Uh, you made a great point about his batting. Um, decent strike rate. You know, he got 41 runs um, with a strike rate of almost 160. So he can bat aggressively too. And I was I, I think he was the find. You're right to say he was the kind of gem for for South Africa this series because yeah he looks like he looks like the real deal and fair play to him because that was a lot of pressure coming straight into into the into the game. I think knowing as well that they're, they're looking for a second spinner, there's an India tour coming up, an India World Cup coming up, and like, go on, mate, open the bowling, see what you can do. Um, some of the best bats in the world, and you got Jason Roy out again in that third T20I, much like Rashid, who went for very little in a lot of chaos. Linda went for six and a half, uh, where uh, Sipamla, so I thought Sipamla, I can't read that. Do <laughs> that. Sipamla got went for sixteen and a half, and Shams went for fourteen. So again, really standing out and useful with the bat. So that's a great find in a team that did a lot of chopping and changing, but didn't find much else, in my opinion. Let's come on to Quinton de Kock because he is. This was his first time captaining in T20Is with the bat. Let's start with the bat because that's sort of his main role in the side. He he looks fantastic as always. He's such a good ball striker. He's got Joffre Archer, not on toast, but I don't know. Maybe he's got the bread out and it's about to go into toast. <laughs> he can really play him. He loves scooping him over the leg side to one fire leg. He hit one great, great scoop shot, in, I think in the third. But he got out at really annoying times. Um, so 17 off 12 in the third T20. 30 off 18 was a great foundation, but kind of got out a bit anticlimactically, just sort of chipping it to Tom Curran off the bowling of Jordan. I felt that innings could have gone a lot longer. So another start. And then 30 off 23 in the first, another start. Too many starts here for the captain, who I think then left his slightly inexperienced middle order open. I know Duplessis and Van der Dusen came in next, but I don't know, as great as he looked and as pure as a ball striker as he is, he needed to offer a little bit more in this series, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think what was lacking from those innings was a was a captain's innings. Yeah. Uh, someone to stick around and see it through. Uh, I think first of all, we've we've really got a we've really got to underline that South Africa lost three 0 It was a whitewash at home. Mm. No matter the context, you know, pandemic, um, obviously whatever whatever the context is, if you you know you're playing competitive cricket, um, you shouldn't be losing every single game. They put themselves in positions to win. Um, I would argue in all three of the games, there were moments when I thought that South Africa were potentially going to win. I know Zach felt the same. We obviously were having a chat throughout the games. That third one, South Africa looked like they should have been in the driving seat after that brilliant partnership um, between um, Duplessis and Van der Dusser that just tore England apart. Mm. In the first game, um, it was going down to the wire. If they had got Bairstow out, I think they probably would have won. So... It's a very fine edge, isn't it? It's uh, fine margins in T20 internationals. There's not much. There's not much time. You've got snap decisions to make. And I think, for example, the first game he used a lot of bowlers. Used six bowlers. He turned to Klassen, who went for 14. Um, inexperienced decisions. Like again, I think he probably will be a very good captain, but. Yeah, it's a tough way to start. It's an unforgiving um, arena, uh, international T20 cricket. It is ruthless. And yeah, he was shown that if you're going to play the best in the world, every player has to turn up. And I think they had a disappointing performance from one, if not two or three players in every single game. You make such a great point about they were in great positions in all three of these games, which should give them some hope once these players get a bit yes. more experience and the cock gets a bit more experience as a captain, he's got a lot going on. Captain, wicketkeeper, opening batsman. That's that's a lot of stuff. But I think that first one, especially when 179 for six felt slightly above par. They had England 34 for three. And then, yeah, that that, that one over from Klassen was crazy. And then Buren Hendricks bowled one of the craziest overs I've seen in T20s. Um, missed the cut strip on one that sort of bounced over the Cox's head. 
um noble free hit for six it was carnage and that was the end of the game there and they were they were about to win that game before the over pretty much so that was a shame out of the cox hands and a bit of inexperience not playing well there again in the second t20 england 65 for three sorry that was south africa england 55 for three even worse off nine we we were nowhere in that chase and then we clawed it back and then 191 for three, not being able to defend that, and not even defending that close. So, depends how you want to read this. Glass half full, glass half empty. Glass half full suggests that you're in a winning position in all of these games against a very good side. Glass half empty is you've, you've thrown three games away. Can that be forgiven for lack of, you know, playing for a lot of these players and the young team? I think it can for now. But like you said, Glenn, that's got to hurt, hasn't it? Three 0 at home with an opportunity to at least win one of these games. They should have put one to bed, right? Yeah, I think even 2-1, um, you know, yeah. you've won a game and you can always argue as, as you as you as you just said that if they're all tight, yeah, there's benefit. There's um there's there's benefits to take from that. There's positives to be to be um brought out of the some of the batsmen they've still got into Cock and Duplessis, two of the best T20 batsmen in the world. Um, they really did exceptionally well in the IPL. Um, and they found a little gem in in Lint and Shamsi looks really good as well. And they have got good bowlers. I mean, um, you know, Rabada especially and Nokia, like they've got really decent players. You just this bunch of players shouldn't be losing three now. And it makes me think, Dan, when we did our predictions for this in the in the preview pod a couple just a couple of days ago, none of us, none of the three of us, I think, predicted an England whitewash. And that's a disappointment for him. But I agree. You know, looking glass half full, there's a lot of positives to take for them. It's just frustrating to for that to be the way your your your, your debut as a captain goes. It's it's very disappointing for him. And he looked he looked shell shocked and just gutted at, at the post match of that third T20. He was mm-hmm. just I can't remember who's asking the questions. One of the South African commentators, but he he was just asking questions. He said England just played better. We we just got outplayed today, and he didn't have much to say. He looked a little bit shell shocked, which I find interesting. So. A shame for him, but I think we both agree he'll be a good captain down the line. And then, finally on them, they've got Duplessis and Van der Dusen who come in at three or four or four and five, and they're great. I think we're they're senior players. Duplessis had a great IPL. He had a great he had a great series actually. He had a, he had a decent average, a good strike rate. Van der Dusen has the ability to play very explosively, but his 25 off 29 balls in the second T20 brought quite a few questions toward him. He didn't get going. He didn't do what Milan did and catch up. And he kind of left his team a little bit stranded. No boundaries in that whole innings. That's a little bit unforgivable as well. But aside from those two, you look at the other Hendricks who came into bat at three, who made 16 off 18. Klassen, who got picked and dropped. Um, and a few other players like uh, Van Billjoin and Sip Armler, who's the bowler. There's a lot of chopping and changing here. And no one really said, pick me. I am cementing your side, apart from George Linder, obviously. So it's a tricky one for South Africa, isn't it? I think they're in a transition period anyway, or it has been for a while. They've got the sort of outline of a team, right? I think Are we in agreement on that? They've got the outline of a good team. Let's hope they can push on a little bit, I guess. Yeah, and I think, again, this is something we we, uh, we touched on in the preview pod. Like, they have they had a really disappointing ODI World Cup. What worries me is they take that kind of negativity uh, you know, a thumping at home, a whitewash at home. What they need between now and India is a really good series. Um, mm. And yeah, I, I worry. I do worry for them in India. I um, I, I would say, uh, you know, IPL experiences in the team very important in the top order. But you're very astute in observing there's a bit of rotation especially in that middle order and nobody really demanding a place in the team of those people coming in um yeah i it makes me nervous in a different world you know it's fine margins again in a different world they win that they win this series 2-1 we're not having this conversation but i want to see them do well i think that I, I love seeing a strong south africa team mm. so i'm really hoping they can they can pull it out of the bag and get some consistency before that world cup because they're not in a not in a stable position right now at all Definitely. I feel like maybe maybe just about that top four is locked in. If we went if we went De Kock, Bavuma, who I who isn't mm. great at the top of the order for me, he's all right. Uh Duplessis Van der Dusen, let's let's just say those four are selected. And then if we went for the the bottom four, as it were, of Shamsi and Gidi, Rabada, Norkia, 
as a good four. In between the top and the bottom of the team, though, there's just a few too many questions around the South Africa side. But you know, not a great series for there, but they've got stuff to cling on to, uh, which is good for them. Shall we quickly come on as, as we as we wind toward the end of the pod of the coded messages coming from the England balcony? Now, we spoke about this before we started recording about how we felt about it. And I've read a fair amount about it since um, it kind of came to light. But as soon as I saw it, it was in the 30-20, wasn't it? As soon as I saw it and the, the camera panned to it and, and, the, and the analyst looked a little bit sheepish when he realised he was on telly. Maybe he's shy. Maybe he felt guilty. I felt it was a bit weird and a bit dodgy. That was my first initial instinct. So I want to know what you think, Glenn. What, what did you first think about it? We'll come on to it in more detail. But as soon as I saw it, I just found it a bit weird. So England called this a live informational resource, which sounds like some so real, <laughs> real corporate jargon. It's made me think about teletext, yeah. about like the coach holding the result and seeing that I don't know, Burnley have gone two 0 down against Watford. Uh, it was, it was very peculiar, wasn't it? Um, I don't quite know. Um, if we need it, you know, Morgan is obviously, I would argue, the best captain in the world at the minute in T20. I mean, there's no one I prefer to be in his place. You know, obviously, Coley's excellent as well, but Morgan does the job. Um, I don't mind innovation. I think you and Zach uh, did a brilliant job of, of explaining the rule changes um, in the Big Bash League in the last part. Definitely listen to that if you if you haven't so far. I really enjoyed that when I was editing it. And I think you could kind of throw this in that in that bag in the sense that it's something new. Um, we've also got the debate right now, obviously, Dan, about the switch hit, whether that should be legal or not, which is oh, another of these really contentious issues. Jeez. But this one just felt strange. I yeah, it did, didn't it? It just it just was a bit peculiar. So Tamal Mills um, said um, England fast bowler. He said he you know he doesn't he doesn't have an issue with it if it progresses and advances tactics. Um, but Jonathan Agnew, uh, we mentioned this before the pod, said that um, he saw one say C3 and he thought that was the seat the South Africans were going to smash the ball into next over. <laughs> well, that's it. it. At the time it first got sort of realised by the cameras, it was when England were getting smacked around the park by Van der Dusen and Duplessis. Yep. So it was a bit like, well, is this any good? But yeah, I, I, it just felt a bit weird initially. And I, I, I don't just, I'm not sure it was worked out what it means, whether it's fielding positions or where to bowl it to this batsman, or you know what Van der Dusen last did in the in in the 18th over, you know when it was 19 degrees outside. I, I don't quite know what it's actually translating to. It just feels a bit a bit clinical, a bit you know less you know Morgan using his ingenuity and his feel on the pitch and more you know a data science graduate with with a clipboard and i just i don't like that for cricket and, and it is legal we've, we've you know everyone's been through that but is it is it fun for me it's 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 not well and just just to expand on what the the spokesperson said um so they said the full quote is the numbers and letters are intended as a live informational resource that the captain may choose to use or ignore as he wishes they are not commander instructions and all decision making takes place in the field. These these quotes aren't helping. I mean, I wish they'd just tell us what it is, because the whole kind of mystique and saying it it isn't this, it's not that either. I mean, well, if it's not, you know, an instruction, then what is it? I mean, yeah, yeah, I totally they, might, they might as well. I prefer if they just held up the six and fours. So. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I like think. One of the retro Channel Four ones yeah. they used to have when Channel Four had the cricket rights. Just go, yeah. But whenever that's England get hit for a four, you want the analyst to go way at the back. Yeah. In fairness to Butler, he he was asked about it after the thirty twenty, and he compared he said D1. To, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he compared it to the tactical timeouts that we see in the IPL, in which the coaches have a period with their players mid-game. I don't know. And I prefer that because it's, it's like more, you know, structured as part of the game. I don't see that ever happening in T20Is, but it, it feels more legit. This just found, felt a bit sneaky, like coded messages. Doesn't that just sound a bit spy-like? And I, I just, I don't know. And that was my initial reaction and that has stuck with me since. So, yeah, I'm sure they'll carry on using it. And, you know, in test matches when we see a bowler go off for an over to, you know, have a comfort break in quotation marks or... You know, the, the nails cutting or something. 
they're obviously getting information fed to them whilst they're in the dressing room and we're all fine with that and I'm fine with that still that's just the way of the world but yeah to see these random letters and numbers thrown out just felt a little bit weird to me yeah and just on that note it was it was funny yesterday to see in the uh the australia india t20 that the concussion substitute got a match winning three wicket haul <laughs> that in that of vein. now i can't wait for that uh pod we do with will um about that india australia series because i think he already texted you saying he's got some pretty strong views about this and it uh the fist bump between langer and Chahal that was going around on twitter today what is it today i've lost all track of time Either way, it was fantastic. So, you know, there's a bit of contention going around in cricket at the minute about, you know, stuff like that, a few new innovations coming in that people can't quite work out yet, whether they like it or not. Yeah, they're not as clear cut as sandpaper in your sock. I think that kind of <laughs> brought everyone together. That's what I liked about the Aussies. They always unite the cricket community. <laughs> well, that was it. Well, we'll see if England keep using that um, as the ODI series hopefully carries on. And in future T20s, we'll see how that revolves. There was a good sort of shouting match between Morgan and uh, Owen Morgan and, and Michael Vaughan on Twitter Michael Vaughan not a fan of it and Owen Morgan I'm not a fan of Michael Vaughan I think from from what I think we gathered from those tweets uh before we leave West Indies 114 for five so stabilized somewhat after that after that small collapse over in New Zealand we'll keep you up to date on that of course um as we do our pods that'll about wrap it up for this review though let's hope for an ODI series Glenn and and we'll be back soon reviewing that that will be next week at some point You've got the BBL pod, which came out the other day. If you want to preview that, the BBL starts for five days from today. It's on the 10th of December. So you've got plenty of time to listen to that after this. Um, thank you so much for listening. Glenn, thank you so much. It was nice to have the two of us again, like, like old times. It was retro. It, it, yeah. it really was. It, it was lovely. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm delighted that, um, you know, Zach and Will are here. And I'm really looking forward to the to the India India pod. I want to I see Will get angry. That's what I'm looking forward to. I think he's going to get angry as well. Or at least <laughs> me and Zach will make sure he gets angry. Anyway, Glenn, thank you so much for joining me um, on the pod today. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back next week. Hopefully, fingers crossed, with a review of the ODI series. We'll speak to you soon. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.